the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back Wednesday, July 26, 2023. I am Seth Leibson. I have got Bill to my north and David Dahl, my producer, to my west. The phone number for all of you and the rest of the four points are is uh, 602-58. I got it wrong. I've said it a million times. How did I do that? 602-508-0960. The plea deal that we have been talking about with Hunter Biden and the Department of Justice has fallen apart. And we'll get into that uh, in depth, not only uh, with you all and me, but with our expert, our legal and constitutional expert, Brett Johnson, a little bit later in the show. But um, this will probably not be one of the durables. It is uh, one of the intransitives. And as we focus more on the durables, I'd like to say something regarding the declining senescence of our president and regarding the Hans Christian Andersen empire of a leader with no clothes we continue to labor through. We discussed yesterday how in one speech our president lamented twice how over 100 people died from COVID, including over 100 empty chairs around the kitchen table, as he likes to put it. And then, of course, his bragging that he cured cancer. As he put it, we ended cancer as we know it. We played you the audio of him saying that. We can play the audio of both of those statements again, but that is what he said twice on COVID, over 100, and clearly on cancer. As he put it in the past tense in his next sentence with the conjunction of also delivering on promises to veterans. You would think Joe Biden would have been more skilled with COVID numbers as he made such a serious effort to condemn Donald Trump in the 2020 campaign for, in his words, Trump's responsibility for 220,000 deaths. You remember what Joe Biden said then, right? He said, quote, anyone responsible for that many deaths should not remain as president, close quote. Well, Joe Biden presided over multiples of that number, at least another 600,000 deaths attributed to COVID, and that with a vaccine and a year's experience with COVID when it was no longer novel. My point is you'd think he'd be better at counting COVID deaths than twice stating yesterday that over 100 people died from it which would be about a third of how many people died just yesterday from drug overdoses or poisonings. None of this is my major point. My major point is this. The White House publishes transcripts of everything the president and vice presidents say at these kinds of speeches. They become official transcripts for the record, for the papers, and for the archives. And when you go to the official White House transcript from yesterday, whitehouse.gov, you enter not the land of Hans Christian Andersen, but the land of George Orwell and the land of Marx. It's just not Groucho Marx. The official White House transcript fully changes what Joe Biden said about curing cancer. It now reads not, quote, we ended cancer as we know it, which is what the president said. But now the transcript reads, quote, we can end cancer as we know it, 
which is what the president did not say. As for the 100 COVID deaths, the transcript actually runs a line through the words 100 twice and replaces it with the insertion of the phrase 1 million, as if it was simply a misstated number. Twice misstated. I don't know about you, but 100 doesn't rhyme with 1 million and it doesn't even come close to an innocent misstatement. It sounds like someone is asking Rain Man how much a car costs, about $100. It shows a complete inability to understand the words you are saying, especially when repeated twice, which shows a complete inability to understand important things, which shows a complete inability to understand who and where you are, which shows a complete inability to understand what America is now led by an incompetent cipher of a president in name only who is backed up by a vice president who speaks in vague self-help speak like, Jerzy Kaczynski's character Chauncey Gardner in being there, who also became president. Just yesterday, for the umpteenth time, the vice president said, quote, we can see what can be unburdened by what has been, close quote. I suppose if you say that phrase enough, as she does, if you imitate yourself enough, as she does, you can flatter yourself. She can flatter herself, imitation being the best form. A flattery, But while she may impress herself with this airy abstraction, nobody has the slightest idea of what she is talking about. We can see what can be unburdened by what has been. That's your leadership in America right now. But again, the real issue is not that the falcon cannot hear the falconer. The issue is that official government employees are tampering with, emending, editing the official transcripts. So it doesn't look like Joe Biden said what, in fact, he said. I invoked Marx because he pointed out that the point of his philosophy was not to understand history, but to change it. Change it. You know the old Soviet shape. We know the future. It's the past we want to change. But it's not a joke. We are watching it change in real time here, or at least 48 hours time. And I invoked Orwell because he gave us the concept of the memory hole. Well, how could you make appeal to the future when not a trace of you, not even an anonymous word scribbled on a piece of paper, could physically survive, Orwell asked in 1984. Quote, the party said that Oceana had never been in alliance with Eurasia. He, Winston Smith, knew that Oceana had been in alliance with Eurasia as short a time as four years ago. But where did that knowledge exist? Only in his own consciousness, which in any case must soon be annihilated. And if all others accepted the lie which the party imposed, if all records told the same tale, then the lie passed into history and became truth. Who controls the past, ran the party slogan, controls the future. Who controls the present, controls the past. And yet the past, though of its nature alterable, never had been altered. Whatever was true now was true from everlasting to everlasting. It was quite simple. All that was needed was an unending series of victories over your own memory. Reality control, they called it. Newspeak, doublethink, close quote. We are being forced, even if unwittingly, which is the best way to force these consciousness-changing efforts, to accept lies and allowing them to pass into history so as to become truth. There's an ironic connection here to the whole point of memory, as that is obviously fading from the leader of the free world in his own personal capacities and incapacities. 
And that is his family and his family's own personal issue of sad tragedy. But when there's an entire government apparatus at work to have it be inflicted upon the nation and the world in order to prop up that very individual incapacity with a political agenda behind it, it passes beyond the personal into something far more crucial and critical. It passes from being a personal affliction, as it may be with the president, to a public affliction, which affects every human being in the United States of America and given the power of the United States of America, perhaps every human being in the entire universe or world. A public affliction about cover-ups, a public affliction about public policy, a public affliction about history, a public affliction about fact, indeed a public affliction about our own collective knowledge and memory over which there is a war going on. You can see it in riots. You can see it in the education wars. You can see it in the fight over history. You can see it in the vice president's attack on the history standards in Florida. You can see it in the left's efforts when it comes to all education. There is an attack on our own collective knowledge and memory. And as every serious historian will tell you, without knowledge and memory, we as a people and we as a country, people and a country, lack meaning and cannot grasp meaning in our own lives, and we become nothing as a civility or a civilization. That's the importance of knowledge and memory. This all may very well explain how unmoored we are just now and why things are falling apart, where the centers can no longer hold. And maybe it does begin to help us understand just what that foolishness is that Kamala Harris keeps repeating. We are unburdened by what has been. Indeed, I think we are. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. Before we move on, there is a lot going on today. Rick wants to talk about something I haven't yet brought up, which probably needs to be brought up. Hi, Rick. Hi there, Seth. <laughs> it's good to hear your voice, man. Yeah, good to hear yours. Thank you very much. Hey, another great monologue. Thank you, I sir. always enjoy your monologue. Thank you. Uh, what I was calling about is the UFO hearing. Yes. And... Uh, Whenever you get to that, if you get to that, or well, I, you get you get me there. You get oh, me there. You you, oh. you you take it over here, brother. Okay, Tell okay. us what we need to well, know. My question is: Are you familiar with SETI? S E T I. Well, I might be. Okay, the search yes. for extraterrestrial yes, yes, intelligence. Yes, 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 yes. Are you aware that this year is the 60th year of the beginning of that? whole program no i am not <laughs> no i didn't know okay that. okay okay and in 1963 uh a whole bunch of scientists uh suggested and they began building these radio telescopes and they, they they've been put all over the globe and the idea is 
as intelligent beings, we send out radio signals, television signals, and everything else. Well, if there's intelligent life out there, they're probably sending out these kinds of signals. So we're going to search the heavens and find some of these signals, you know, so that we know there's intelligence life, intelligent life out there, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. Sixty years ago, this was begun. Do you have an idea how many intelligent messages have been received in that 60 years? No. Zero. Huh. That's interesting. That is interesting. Very interesting. So with all of this uh, stuff going on with UFOs, I I, I don't know. Yeah. Makes me really wonder. I, know, I only know a couple of things, and I only know them because I believe them. So I really should say I only believe a couple of things. Okay. <laughs> Do I believe that there is other life forms, other intelligent life forms in this galaxy or in another galaxy <laughs> in our sharing sharing our time span? Uh-huh. I think it's possible. Do I spend a lot of time thinking about it? No, and I'll tell you why. I don't because, on the one hand, I think that the story and news about it is probably too great for us to deal with. It's the kind of thing that I don't know that we're able to deal with, which isn't to say I want it covered up. I don't. It's just to say we need to remember who we are. And not speculate about who they or what they are. If we're comfortable, it seems to me, Rick, if we're comfortable with who we are, and we may not be, but if we are at an individual level, then, you know, I don't mind sharing the earth with anything. Right. I know what I am and I know what my destiny is, or at least I think I do. Uh And whether I'm taken out tomorrow by COVID or an atomic bomb or a car accident, or an alien, my job today is to do the best thing I can do today, which is to serve the Lord and to serve my fellow human. And I just don't know what more to do about this. I don't know what more to say. You help me out here, brother. What am I missing? I I agree with everything you just said. I, I think that's excellent. And as Shakespeare said, there are more things in heaven and on earth than uh, have been revealed by our philosophy, right? Yeah. Yes. So, yeah, I would say that's, you know, I would say it's possible, but I do find it interesting that we've been searching the heavens for 60 years, and surely in that 60-year period, and I mean vast array of radio telescopes all around the globe, and not one single message. That's interesting. That's so interesting. Now, we yeah. have seen we have seen some of this video, this black and white released, I don't know if it's DOD video or some other agency's video. You've seen the kind of stuff flying yeah. around that we can't explain. Now, the reason that should be relevant to us is for our national defenses. I don't don't get me wrong. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm not right. articulating a pacifist position here of que sera sera. Right. I, I, you know, whether it's China or some other alien structure, I want us to be hardened against it because we yeah. are still the last best hope. If there were another one in another, again, galaxy or other universe, we'd have known it by now. But because we are, uh, of course, I want us to be able to match and defeat it. I, don't uh, get me wrong on that point. 
No, I agree. As a military matter, as a national security matter. Uh, Yeah, I agree. And it is troubling, uh, you know, that this seems to fit into the pattern of intelligence agencies and government hiding things from us. Yes, yes, yes. What do you do with the whole issue of can we handle the truth? Before, well, I, before you answer, let me put it this way. Uh-huh. There is a view many of us have had over the years, and I still have, that there are certain things we have a right not to know, particularly wartime intelligence, national security wartime intelligence. I believe that should not be leaked, and I believe that should not blow our programs when we're facing an enemy. Yes. So I, 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 I want to stipulate that up front. Okay. But it does conflict with the point that you articulated, too— which is, it seems to me we overclassify an awful lot, and there is an awful lot the government doesn't tell us that it should. We saw it during COVID. We see it with different assassination theories and what have you, right? Right, right, exactly. And I agree with you 100% on that, uh, Seth. Loose lips <laughs> sink ships, right, right? Right, Okay, so yeah, absolutely there are some things. But what is coming to light, and I think you agree with me, I agree with you, uh, this, things like this uh, uh, FBI right. unclassified document right. that they refuse, well, that they first refused to release and then redacted the heck out of it and then finally right. released. Right. I mean, things like that, that's, that's, a, that's a ship too far. Right, right. I, 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 think, I think almost everything that needs to be said about this whole UFO hearing scenario might have been said by you and me just now over the last six or seven minutes. <laughs> Well, we'll see. Let me. Let me. Let me <laughs> Bill is nodding and laughing. Bill yeah, is bouncing me. up and down in agreement. I haven't gotten hey, a. I got. Hey, haven't gotten a harumph out of David yet. But. A shout out to Bill. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, uh, one other thing. Yeah. BHO said his name was kind of unusual and weird. Yeah. Ramaswamy. Yeah. Has a name that is even weirder, yes. and he's not hiding his religion. That's correct, and it's interesting. I'm going to talk about uh, some of the politics with George Kaloff later, but what okay. George was telling me offline, and maybe we can talk about it on on air, was how well Vivek Ramaswamy did with the evangelical groups in Iowa when he met with them recently. And it's interesting, uh-huh. as a non-Christian, uh, that that was the case. Yeah. Oh, look at what David's great doing to, to us. Great to talk to you, You do, Rick. Thanks. Look, I'm looking uh, forward to the rest of the show. Da- okay, you see where David's what David's doing to us here, Rick? Okay. Right. All right. <laughs> yeah. We'll be right back. <laughs> God bless. <laughs> Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Delighted to have John Dombrowski with us. He is the president and founder of Grand Canyon Planning Associates. His website, grandcanyonplanning.com, a good way to reach out to him and to see everything you want to know about him and his great staff. He's also uh, got his own radio show, heard Saturday mornings at 7 a.m. here on 960 The Patriot, The Word on Wealth. How are you, John? I'm doing well. So, hey, you know, we haven't done our culture in a while. No, we yeah, have we not. We the economy. And there's I've a got lot going on. Of, 
Yeah. A couple of quick things on yes, this sir. date. Okay. You know? All right. In 1775, the U.S. postal system was established. That's uh-huh. one. Yes. Uh, President Truman ends, it says, discrimination in the military back in 1948. Nice. We've got the Americans with Disability Act went into law in 1990. We've got FBI was founded in 1908. It goes on and on, wow. all these different things that happened on this date uh, in history, July 26th. So interesting. If anyone's interested, they can go. Uh, certainly do some research on that, but there's a plethora of things. And today the Fed raised rates a quarter point, which is the highest interest rate we've seen in 22 years right now. Yeah. What will they be saying 30 years from now about what <coughs> also took place on this date? That might be one of them. 13th consecutive day of gains at the Dow yeah, Jones, the 13th right? 13th consecutive since 1987. At yep, least so. since 1987, right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, a lot of things happened on this date over the years. So, and maybe uh, UFO hearings. You were telling us yeah. for the last two days that mm-hmm. today was the big day to learn yeah. something important from the Fed. So tell us what this rate, uh, rate uh, news means. So it was interesting. We did see the Fed raising a quarter point, which I believe the markets had uh, pretty much uh, expected. Yeah. And investors out there, I mean, it, it was it took it in stride. The markets were down slightly on the uh, uh, Nasdaq and the S and P, but the Dow up thirteen consecutive days now. Tomorrow could be a record again, fourteen. Now, I, I don't think it's ever happened fourteen days. Uh, maybe we we'll go back into the eighteen hundreds for that, uh, which would be pretty historic again. Um, but. We did hear that even though the Fed is probably a bit hawkish, you know, they're in a hold pattern right now. And um, one of the Fed chairs actually said that they believe that at this point, uh, maybe no more rate hikes for this year. And very possible the next move for the Fed might be a cut in rates, but that might be in 2024. So that is a positive uh, bit of news for the markets and for the economy. So obviously believing that what they've been doing is is working and they're not taking uh, much more of an aggressive approach at this point, but kind of a wait-and-see attitude, which I think many people believe is what they should do. Good. Now, baby steps for baby brains because, as I was pointing out that – and you were pointing out that we've had the 13th straight day of gains, which is the greatest record since 1987 when it comes to the Dow. If you go to CNBC, let us say – Mm-hmm. You will see Dow futures right. pointing downward a little Correct. bit, just a little yeah, about bit. 61, 61 right. points right. right now in the Dow. So, what does that mean? The difference between what the Dow did today and Dow futures? That's well, the baby that step is, for the baby. That's break. an indication of what's happening uh, in the aftermarket trading and, uh-huh. and orders, sell orders versus buy orders. Uh, so, right now, it would lean towards a lower open tomorrow morning, but a lot changes overnight. It doesn't you know, mean that we won't have 14 days by close of business tomorrow. It doesn't mean that right. at all. It's very possible that we could see the market open lower but yet close higher, right? Okay. Uh, so a lot of activity can occur throughout the course of a day, New economic news that comes in. We've got corporate earnings going on right now, a lot happening. Uh, and, and it's almost in a way – uh, you may find that investors want to try to push and break some type of a record just to do it. You know, even if the market closes, the Dow closes up a few percentage points, uh, that could be, uh, you know, it would be a record in itself. And that could happen. So, okay. um, but not much in the way when you see the markets down 59 points and the Dow at 35,622 right now. That's, you know, an inconsequential amount, less than, uh, you know, right around a tenth of a percent or so. Right. The Fed rate uh, hike uh, mm-hmm. is good news to some and not good news. Where where is it hit the hardest? Does it hit hit again on the mortgage uh, on the mortgage industry the hardest? You think or 
anybody out there borrowing yeah. right now, yeah. if they haven't already locked in some type of a rate, uh, it's going to affect you. Yeah. And on the other side of this, too, Seth, for those out there maybe who have now uh, own these adjustable rate loans, yeah. uh, this would be something that would affect them. So if you have a home loan that's a HELOC, you yeah. know, some kind of a, um equity loan yeah. on your property, yeah. uh, this will affect that. So you'll see those rates going up again. Okay. On a monthly basis. So just be aware of those interest rates and what type of, uh, you know, cost it, it is to you. And uh, you may want to look at how you can maybe begin to minimize some of those expenses. Got it. Got it. Yep. People can talk to you about that, of course. You bet. Of course. Okay. You bet. Check out the website, GrandCanyonPlanning.com. Securities and advisory services offered through Creative One Securities LLC, a member of Fenner and Sipic, and an investment advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC, and Creative One Securities LLC are not affiliated. Thank you, Seth. Beautifully done, John. Thank you, sir. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. A delight to bring back our constitutional and election law expert, Brett Johnson. He is a partner with the Snell & Wilmer Law Firm based here in Phoenix. Offices across the country, swlaw.com. The website, uh, Brett, oh my gosh, uh, a headline I guess a lot of people didn't think they'd see. Reading from the New York Times, Judge Delays Hunter Biden Plea Deal. A lot of people thought this was baked in the cake. There was some argument that the judge could turn down this plea agreement, that it does happen. It's uh, more rare than not, more mm-hmm. more infrequent than not. But there's a lot it looks like the judge did not quite sign off on or like in what she saw today. Can you walk us through some of this? Yeah, it, it is actually very interesting. And just as a way of background, right, when, when plea deals are presented in – um, to a federal judge, right, who has a lot of other things to do. This is scripted usually to the T between counsel, and then even literally a script is, uh, it, there's a standard script that the judge reads off of, and then, right. and then there's inserts based off of each case. Right. So the fact that the judge goes through uh, several hours of a hearing and is basically confused about the court's role in the plea agreement and how it's going to be enforced, because it was more of a procedural, not that she that the judge disagreed on the, um, the specifics of the plea deal itself, but just how it was going to be implemented, which is, is the first step. It's like, right. hey, I'm not even going to consider this if I can't actually administer it, which is so rare, which tells us, by the way, that, and, and believe me, I've been, I've been doing this for a long yeah. time, when, when the federal government gives me a form, I've seen it a hundred times, and and guess what? I, I can't even correct the typos in it. Yeah. It's like, hey, Johnson, fix it, accept this, or, or we're moving on. Yeah. But in this case, because it was so novel, this was an agreement that uh, the judge just was not comfortable with, and said, this is so far out of the norm that that I'm not going to accept it. Which then led um, Hunter Biden to have to plead not guilty, right. not not go through the plea deal, and that bought him some time to to work out the kinks um, that the judge had concerned. And by the way, the judges, they do this every day. So this isn't like some judge who was on the civil bench in, in state court and then moved to the criminal bench and just didn't know how it worked. This is like, you know, bread and butter for a federal judge. So this is actually a big deal, especially on this high profile of a case, which, again, is usually orchestrated so well. Am I reading it or overreading it to view it as one of the interesting things that went upside down today is that Hunter Biden and his attorneys 
are now not on the same side as the Department of Justice, whereas they were walking into the court kind of on the same side. Is that an overread? Um, it, it's not an overread because they had a disagreement within the hearing itself okay. as to what certain terms uh-huh. meant. Uh-huh. Um, but I think that they quickly came to a resolution, which is eventually what the judge, uh, which which is what the judge did, um, of of, uh, of of you know accepting the not uh, not guilty plea mm-hmm. and then moving it forward. So it, there, in the beginning, they I'm sure they walked in and said this is a great day. In the middle of it, they looked at each other and said, Yeah, we actually don't agree okay. on some of the the language here. And then the judge said, we're going to be kicking this to a later date. And a lot of this had to do with future immunity or immunity on future prosecution. Is that right? Future immunity, but also in, in if, if Hunter Biden did not comply right. with the actual deal itself, what was the judge's role uh-huh. in enforcing it? And it really was trying to limit her abilities and what her powers are in a standard, you know, um, uh, type plea deal. Because obviously the court, this is a plea, and the judge's job is to oversee that plea agreement and make sure. So if there is a violation of the plea agreement, it would go back before her, and she would be if they would have gone further in the script, she would have been very crystal clear as to what he could and could not do as part of the plea agreement. And then if he violated that, then that would come back to her or another federal judge, of course. And is that usually something, this was a little part of it too, wasn't it? Is it usually something that the judge surely oversees? That's that's probably the correct phraseology as you used it. But monitors maybe is the word. Is that something the prosecution would typically monitor or be point on or the judge? That was kind of an uh-huh. issue, right? It, it, that was kind of the issue because it, it in uh, you know talking about the separation of power, right. she she really felt that that it was infringing on hers, or that she wouldn't okay. have the oversight that she has on other cases, uh-huh. which would be inappropriate because that means he would be treated differently than other um, criminal defendants before her. Now, on the merits of the plea agreement, um, yeah. I was looking at a column from uh, a colleague of mine, a friend of mine, uh, Hugh Hewitt in the Washington Post, who is a radio host, but also a, a professor of law in California. And he thought that there was a pretty big disparity between what the guidelines on these kinds of charges are and the agreed upon uh, plea agreement, I guess, or the punishment. I just wonder, you know, for, for what it's worth, what your thoughts on it were. He thought the misdemeanors were odd, and he thought the the diversion on the gun charge was was odd. Was quite, he, I think he put it, it didn't pass to him a judif- judicial sniff test. I get that there's a lot of leeway in these things, but based on maybe a first blush read from someone like yourself. Yeah, and, and here here's what the concern is, right? I mean, we're in, in any type of case, and an easy example here, right? First degree murder, uh, premeditated, et cetera. You, you charge that, but when you actually plea the deal, it's manslaughter, right? right? You right. go from life or death right. to to being out in four or five years. Right. That is kind of standard prosecute prosecutorial discretion, and especially when they're evaluating it on a case-by-case basis. So you can't really look at the the charges that he was pleading to versus the actual punishment, because you're as part of the horse trading that goes back and forth. And again, we... I know there's been a lot of information in the media about this case. There's been um, congressional hearings on it, et cetera. But the, the prosecution really didn't – we don't really know a lot about the yeah. prosecutor, prosecutor's case. That's right. actually what would have happened next when the judge goes through and reads the, the proffer and some of the other information, which would have been fascinating. So we, we are, we're really stuck with what is actually pled. There's also the other argument or other point that has been made 
that it's unusual that, that an indictment and a plea would occur so close to each other, even on the same day. It, it's not as rare because there's called deferred prosecut- uh, prosecutorial um, agreements, prosecution agreements, that, r- that really, that, that happens all the time, mm-hmm. too. Basically, you agree on a lot of the language. So I didn't see that as, r- as rare. But what, what I did uh, think was, was interesting um, was some of the things that were actually brought out by some the, the attorney generals led by the state of Louisiana. Yeah, 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 general. yeah. About five of them or so wrote That's independently. Five of them. And, yeah. and they raised some very, very, very good concerns about equality under the law, making sure that the purpose of the law, and unfortunately or unfortunately, a lot of people think that uh, the high-profile um, uh, uh People who are indicted are, are given favors, and they're able to hire the big attorneys. But sometimes they are made examples of. Yep. And, you know, Martha Stewart is sure. a good example. Sure. I mean, so it, that was a sixty-five thousand dollar mistake she made, right. and ended up in six months, I think, in in, in uh, Fed camp. Right. So you you have to actually look at that letter, and I'd highly recommend people to to, to Google that letter from the state of Louisiana. Yeah, they can go um, to scag.gov, uh, which is scag.gov, right? Yeah. yeah. So it's 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 going to be interesting um again this you it, it just seems like the judiciary keeps on being front and center in the in the biden trump uh, fights back and forth so it's going to be interesting that's why we keep you in our back pocket brett that's why we keep yeah. you in our, <laughs> thank you very much <laughs> i appreciate it brett johnson from snell and wilmer swlaw.com i'm seth and we'll be right back With uh, talk of possible recession, with inflation still far less than transitory, with bank failures, where do you go to invest? What if you could invest in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return that's not correlated to the stock market or the Fed? Why Refi has that for you? They have a portfolio where you will know what each monthly statement will look like with no surprises. You can turn your monthly income on or off. You can compound it, whatever you like, with no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. There are no fees in this secure collateralized portfolio from Y-Refi, and they're also based here, headquartered here locally. They encourage you to stop by their offices. Scottsdale Road in the 101, I've been there. You won't get a sales pitch. They leave that to me. No one's going to ask you to sign a thing, but when you meet with the team at Y-Refi, you'll see why I like and trust them so much, and you can as well. Y-Refi is a due diligence proof firm where you can earn up to a 10.25% rate of return. That's right, a 10.25% fixed rate of return. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then R-E-F-Y.com. Or give them a call at 888-Y-REFI-34. That's 888-Y-REFI-34. Um, David, young David, what is your political pin today, sir? Dirksen. Everett. Good. Illinois? Yes. United States Senator? Uh, A little more than that. He was Senate Minority Leader. Yeah, Dirksen Senate Office Building, named after him. Yep. What else do we know? Helped lead the uh, majority of Republicans in the Senate to support the Civil Rights Act of 1964, if I'm not mistaken, saying there is nothing so powerful as an idea whose time has come. What else do we need to know about Everett Dirksen? If I'm not mistaken, he was a uh, he was a Taft man mm, okay. in 1952. Okay, he, he had some uh, some conservative credentials at okay. least in 52. <laughs> okay, all right. Good all friends right. with Jerry Ford, yeah. as House and Senate Minority Leaders yeah. would be that kind of guy. They had a television show. Did you know that? 
No, but a lot of these guys they had, had an their Ev and Jerry hours. They did really. There, a lot like of a, these like guys did have television program. Yeah, yeah, a lot yeah. of these guys had local television shows. A lot of them did. Um, and I, I, I guess a few of them used to have. I don't know if they if they could do it until after the fairness doctrine ended, but uh, a f- or was enforced. But a few of them even had radio shows. Um, we we do our best to bring on our congressional and senate delegation whenever they ask um and whenever we can comply or whenever there's something in the news but um yeah you don't you don't see them hosting tv shows much anymore i'm trying to think who the person was and also where phyllis Schlaf- phyllis schlafly used to do a tv show with one of her congressmen i'm trying to think about who that would have been i'll remember it over the break i'm sure all right a lot more coming up we'll be right back Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. Salem 